This message is from Living Rock Church. We trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. It's good to be back with you all again. I didn't know it had been such a long time since I was last with you, but as you get older, you are fully aware that time flies. But if you are younger than I am, time flies. (laughs) It is good uh, to be driving up to the country this morning to see rain. I flew in yesterday from India where there had been uh, weather in the 80s upper 80s, so it is nice to come back to find water, (laughs) lots of it. (laughs) But looking around the room this morning, some of you may not know who I am, that does not matter. The important thing is I want you to come to know the person I'm going to talk to you about. That's the most important. However, you may be in the room this morning and you may not know or met the person who's sitting behind you or the side of you. But right now, I'm just going to ask you at least to meet them, greet them, turn around, turn to the side and say, it's a privilege for you to sit next to me this morning. I really want to thank David and Richard and the other elders and leaders for inviting my wife and I along today. I knew that David would be out of the country uh, for this weekend, and therefore I asked him, I'd like to come to the church when you're away. (laughs) He said, but I'd like to be there. And I said, I'd like to come when you're away. (laughs) It's always good to see a church when the leadership primarily is away. That's when you find if there's people who are vocal, if there are people vocal in a meeting, whether the meeting is as usual, or there are differences. Now normally when I go to meetings, particularly to churches that I have an oversight toward, I generally get this kind of reaction uh, given to me at the end of a meeting. Last week the worship was tremendous. Or last week, there were so many testimonies. Or we moved strongly in the gifts of the Spirit. But those are always things that happened when I was not there. So I realized the common denominator of all these facts is my presence. So as I often say to my wife, it's best that we don't go to any meetings so people can be free in worship, freer in liberty, freer in the gift of the Spirit, and they can enjoy themselves. But I want to be here today because it's exactly what Andrew had already shared to us previously, which was concerning a family camp. 
families can be very close together and very united, or they can be very distant to each other. In fact, many families can be very dysfunctional. You have parents or fathers and mothers who decide they no longer want to be together and therefore separate. You have children at times who just want to throw off all the restrictions that parents have put upon them and therefore they take not only leave of the house but they take leave of the restrictions of the laws that have been imposed upon them but some of them take remove all kind of inhibition to themselves whatsoever and end up on the wrong side of the tracks causing parents great concerns and great anguish. The community of God that is the church of God and this is why I've come to speak with you I want to talk to you as the people of God there are certain things that God wants to say to us as his people that he will not say to people who do not know him there are certain blessings that we are allowed to partake of that those who do not know him cannot partake of for instance, it might be common here in the church that sometimes you have what is called the Holy Lord's Table, the Eucharist, communion, breaking of bread, whatever the term is. That is a table for those people who have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and who live under his Lordship. That's a table for those people. It is not the table for an unbeliever. When we as believers may be sick, and please understand, that is not a normal thing. But if there is a time when a believer is sick, they are to call, firstly, not for the GP. Although we have one sitting at the back. You call for the elders of the church the elders of the church to pray, not merely to pray, but to pray in faith. And the Bible says that person who is prayed for, their sins are forgiven and they will be healed. Now I'm not going to ask you, who do you call for first? But there is something within inside the Christian community that God has afforded us a means of grace through healing that is offered to us that is not offered to an unbeliever. That does not mean that the Christian does not go into the world to pray for the sick, for we are commanded to do so. So therefore to belong to this community there are certain promises and certain aspects of being part of this community that's enriching our lives. So it was a number of months ago, I think last, uh, when did we meet here as an eldership and decide for this Bible week? October. Last October, I was in this auditorium and we were facing the issue of whether we should have, quote, a family camp again. I came to this, that particular meeting, very open-hearted about it. For me, it didn't matter whether we did 
or we didn't because it had been the 42nd consecutive Bible week that my wife and I would have been at. So we were looking forward to a Costa Brava, Barbados, or the Cayman Islands. So I attended here, and then we simply asked the prophetic people among us, the prophets and people who prophesied, to leave the room, and they could have their own meeting while we enjoyed the time without them. Sometimes you need to do that with prophets. Let them go away, leave you in peace, enjoy the blessing of God, and then when they come back, they can bring in what the Lord's spoken to them. This happened, and when they returned to the room, Matthew Ling, who was leading that particular gathering, said, The Lord has spoken to us, and I would like to invite four people to come forward, four prophetic people, to tell the rest of us what God had said. Not what a prophet said. Not a prophecy. But someone who is bringing to the community of God the word from God. Now please understand this. The word from God. It depends on how you view God. If God is the Almighty, if He's the God who created this universe by the word of His mouth, He is the same God who speaks, speaks today in the same effective, demonstrable way as He spoke then. With the same authority. So that whatever he says will be accomplished. Whatever he says, no matter what you face this morning, whether you face tragedy, whether you feel, uh, face illness, whether you feel, uh, face a challenge in life, it does not matter if God's given you a word that you're going to come through, you'll come through. No matter what you face, you will come through. God spoke to us, God spoke to us, God spoke to us, God spoke to us and said, I am summoning you together. I want to speak to you as a community of God, not just this community. I don't know why he said that. I just acknowledge that he said that. And as I sat in this seat and listened to the word that came, I suddenly realized Cayman Islands had gone. Barbados has gone. Jamaica has gone. Leicester has gone for a holiday. I don't know if Leicester was there in the first place, but they're all gone. Why? Because my God, my Heavenly Father, wanted to speak with me in the context of this community because he'll speak to us in a community in ways that he cannot speak to us individually. That's why the Lord says, never forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's vitally important that God's people in this present day continue to gather together to hear what he's got to say to us through the body. And therefore, I can only endorse what Andrew has said, but it's a bit different. It's not merely if you want to. You have to. There's a big difference. 
As a father in my own home, as we raised our children, there was a lot of, lot of a major difference between what you say to the children, uh, if you want to. You have to. Even the intonation, inflection of voices changed from mum to dad. Certainly in my home, whenever I stepped out of line, and as you can see already, that I was, um, I had a tendency to skirt a line and sometimes not to obey what my fair parents said. So my mother never liked chastising, but she just used these words. Your father is coming home. It seemed that I was for a while impervious to those remarks until my father arrived home. <laughs> my father would never administer any kind of discipline before we'd had food. It's as if he wanted the body to be in a position to receive <laughs> what was coming. Today, I, because it's on tape, I won't go into the, the means and the, what took place. But whatever he administered was right, proper, and just because of the indiscretion and wrong that I had done. I took full responsibility for my misdemeanor. It wasn't because I fell on my head at birth. It wasn't because my sister was constantly against me, although that may have been true. That could never be a, an excuse for my own indiscretion. Took responsibility. And then I discovered that what my mother had meant, my mother meant when she said, your father is coming home, I suddenly realized quickly what that meant. When Jesus said, I'm coming back, he's coming back. Hello. Turn to somebody and say, he's coming back. <laughs> say it loudly, he's coming back. <laughs> say it louder so you can hear it. <laughs> he's coming back. Yes. Like some Christians, they talk to each other because he's coming back. <laughs> you know, he's really coming back. Well, if you're not really living as you should be living, he's coming back. He's coming back for a people that are living and walking righteously. A church that will be victorious and will be walking in victory when he arrives. Not a people buried under the challenges of life, but overcoming in the circumstance and living exuberantly in faith. He's coming for that kind of people. So when he who is coming back tells me that he wants to meet with me in the congregation of yourselves and with every other church that we relate to, that he is summoning us. I have no option. The first person I talked to is my wife and said, 43rd year. She said, that's fine as long as the Lord said. 
then we will go up and expect him to talk to us in a way that he's not spoken to us for quite some time. So can I say this to you? Here's the wonderful promise from these wonderful people here. If you are under a certain age, you can go for half price. What an incentive. But if you want to go as you should go, because the Lord wants us, and you're not able to afford it, the church here will help you go. It's costing you nothing except to say, I'll go. Bless the Lord, all my soul. Well, now I better get into the word because I know that there's like the tigers are playing today and some of you may want to leave. <laughs> I, I think this is tiger territory, isn't it? Yes, I will. Right. Well, if you'll turn with me to John chapter 15, please. And I realize from David that you're going into aspects of the, of the kingdom of God and various things from that. So at least I'll try to fit what I'm saying to you in that context. If it doesn't fit, put up with it. In John chapter 15, John chapter 15, this is the final section of Jesus' discourse to, uh, or could I say, 11 apostles. They used to be 12, but one had gone, and he had gone to betray Jesus. And suddenly, as that apostle has left, Jesus begins to open up the discourse of his heart concerning things that these apostles had never heard from him before. In other words, there was a freedom in Jesus to open up things to these people that he couldn't do when Judas was there. You need to be careful who you share those pearls that God's given you. You need to be careful to whom you share. And in this particular discourse, we have it in John chapter 15, and he says these words, verse 15 and 15. I no longer call you slaves or disciples because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. Now you are my friends. If there was any need within the body of Christ at this moment of time, is friendship. People that you can call friends. The book of Proverbs tells us this, a friend sticks closer than a brother. It means simply this. A true friend will share with you, live with you, do things for you much more intently, intimately, and realistically than a biological sibling. That which is born of the flesh will not be able to help you really 
in the realm of the spirit. But when you come to true friendship in the things of God with each other, you'll always be there. You'll be sticking closer than the biological sibling. You're in it for, for the long haul. You are a true friend. You'll be able to share things with your friends that you couldn't share with other people. Why? They're your friends. And as I began to think about friendship, I began to look at the body of Christ and then I began to ask questions of people in certain meetings like this. And I would say, how many friends do you have? And suddenly I discovered that most people just had about enough friends to cover the fingers on one hand. And some didn't have that. It depends, of course, on the criteria that you use for friendship. For some people, their friend is just an acquaintance. When we lived in America, we discovered that many people viewed us as friends, and all you've done is say hello. They'd introduce you as, these are my friends. And you'd say, but you don't know anything about me. I don't know anything about you other than we had a coffee in Starbucks a while ago. But that was the criteria used. Well, Jesus doesn't view friendship like that. He said, friendship is because I'm able to share anything and everything with you. As an elderly aunt of mine used to have a kind of a, what are they, stitch and sew, a cross stitch? That's why my wife is here. A, a cross stitch thing over the bed which says this, a friend is someone who knows all about you and loves you just the same. Someone who knows everything that is to know about you, but loves you just the same. That's what the kingdom of God is about. It's about people that didn't know him, who came to know him. And if you knew who he was, when you came to know him, there wasn't anything in you that drew him to you other than he loved you. It wasn't anything that we did caused God to love us. He loved us. He wasn't the, the God who loved us because of something. He loved us despite everything. When we didn't know him, when we didn't love him, when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He accepted us as we were. And then someone this morning read, probably it was a lady from Cardiff. And she read from a gospel, which was the shortest gospel, and I think it is, she told us about Mark's gospel. Is that correct? Mark chapter 1. So I'll take you to Mark chapter 2 to explain now friendship. Mark chapter 2. From verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, 
The news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up. Pick up your mat. Go home. The man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out to the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. That would be nice for meetings here, wouldn't it? For everybody so stunned that you're able to somehow get out of the building because you're still stunned. And all you can say to each other is, never seen anything like that before. Never seen anything like that before. Never seen anything like that before. Not never say anything like that before. I never want to see it again. <laughs> never seen anything like that before. They were stunned. Have you ever walked out of a meeting stunned? I've walked out of many meetings absolutely stunned. Stunned at the miracles that one's observing. Stunned when people get out of wheelchairs. Stunned when people come in who haven't eat, eaten food for months and the doctors have given up and suddenly they're eating a sandwich and they're feeling strong. Stunned when you see blind people brought into the meetings and going out seeing. Stunned! It's not a stunned, I never want to see that again, but so stunned! I want to remain stunned to see it all the time. That is what Christian life is all about, friends. It's not just we turn up for a religious service and off we go. No. You get so stunned with the power of God. But in this story, Jesus, it says, comes back to Capernaum. Capernaum, if you've read chapter 1, he visits Capernaum. Performs lots of miracles. Then he leaves Capernaum. And then he comes back to Capernaum. And when he comes back, the people that saw him perform his miracles the first time found him where he was in a board, where he was living. And they just went to his house and filled the house and filled the surroundings of the house. Vast crowds were there. Everybody was happy. But on this particular day, there were four men And they were carrying a man on a mat. One on each corner. Like as if they were walking off a football field 
with somebody on a stretcher. And all this man did, because he was absolutely paralyzed, he just was looking upward. Now, he wasn't looking up to God. No, let's not get religious. He was just paralyzed. He was just looking up. He had lived on that mat. I don't even know how big that mat was. It could have been six by three, four by eight, three by seven. Could have been, I don't know, three by three, depending on his size. Perhaps it could have been 20 by 10. I don't know. Whatever the size of the mat was, that was his world. He was paralyzed. He couldn't move. His only vision was upward. People took pity on him. Gave him some pennies. Perhaps gave him some food. But he couldn't move to eat it. He couldn't look to see what he had. He was paralyzed. You think, what a poor man. No. He had four friends. And if you have four friends, no matter what condition you're in, you are a blessed person. He had four friends. They cleaned him. Cleaned him when he stained himself. When he stained the mat, they washed it. They clothed him, combed his hair, bathed him, gave him food to eat. They weren't there to walk away when calamity had come. I don't know when it had arrived. All I know was he was paralyzed, but they were tending to him. Those are times when people who look to be your friends, when a crisis comes, they are not there. They walk away. But a true friend, no matter what situation you're in, they'll be there. Now, please understand this. This is also a miracle where the friends do not speak audibly. In fact, nobody speaks audibly, only Jesus. You see, true friendship is more or less seen, not heard. There are many who profess friendship, but in crisis, never turn up. But a true friend, you don't even ask. They appear. They knock on the door. And some of them would say, we heard you were in a crisis, and they're there. Some of them don't even know or hear from anyone, but in their prayer unto God, the Holy Spirit says to them, go down to Kerry's house, knock on the door, he needs you. And they arrive in, they arrive in the time that you do need them. Because a true friend is a friend when you're in need. And a true friend is a person who, when they see your need, obliges you by committing a deed of good things. So these four friends were tending to this man all his life, but they knew that Jesus had been there a few days before and many people had been healed, but he was still there.
True friends do not only accept where you are. True friends are always here to lift you up, to take you from where you are, to bring you to where you should be. They looked at this man and said, you know, we say his name is John. Don't mind John. John, you've been here a long time. He's looking straight. You've been here a long time and uh, just got some good news. Jesus is back in town. And we are going to get you to him. Because when we get you to him, do you know what, God? You're not going to need this anymore. You're not going to need little food at the side and money at the side. And equally, you know what, John? We won't have a job like this anymore. Isn't that good? You're not going to need your bed because you're going to be up on your legs. You're not going to be in this little place, but he's going to give you the ability to, to parade the world. That's what you really want, isn't it, John? And he smiles. And they said, we are going to get you there. Well, how are you going to get me there? Well, there's Fred, and there's Tom, and there's James, and Peter. We're going to carry, carry, the, carry the mat. All the way, all the way. But you've never done that before. I know, but you can depend on us. We will not drop you. So they pick up the bed. Down the street they go. And John's going with them, just looking upward. And they get to the building where Jesus is, and they say, he's inside there. We've got a little bit of a problem right now, but we're going to get through that. See, friends never talk to you about the challenges you face. They always talk to you about, look at the miracles we're going to have. You don't need a friend who's going to talk you down. Or talk to you about the bigger problem they've got than you had. I meet people like that. Some people say to me, what, what are you facing in challenge right now? And I say, well, this is the challenge. I don't have the problem. You only have problems if you've got them. They, they can become part of you. No, you've got a challenge. It's outside here. Well, the challenge is this. And then there are some people say, oh, that's small compared to the challenge I have. <laughs> it's like going fishing for people that don't fish. They say to you, uh, you uh, did you go fishing? Yes. What size catch was it? So usually, men make, they embellish the story. Well, it, it was about, <coughs> must have been that size. They say, wow, that's a big fish. And then they look at you and say, well, the one I caught was this, and that was his mouth. And suddenly you realize some people always want to tell you something far bigger than it is. And there are people who you really do not want to fellowship with people who are always telling you something that's bigger, taking you downward, 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 downward. Friends pick you up, pick you up, pick you up, pick you up. Mixed with people like that. That you feel good of having met them. You go out of the day feeling, man, I'm alive today. And if that's what life is about, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. 
We've got a challenge, John, but we're going to get over this challenge. Now let's explain it. We can't go through the front door because there's a crowd of people that won't let us in. But there's a roof to this house, John. A roof. Now what we've planned together is this. We are going to carry you up the side of the house to the top of the roof and then we're going to take off the tiles and take off the wood and take off the leaves and we're going to open up the roof and John, then we're going to lower you down. Now we've got to put some ropes on the four corners of this but John, you can depend on us because we're your friends. He said, fine. Up they went the side of that house. For those of the houses in those days, stairways up to the top, to the flat top of the roof there. And suddenly, inside the house, Jesus is preaching. How many of you would like to be in the house of Jesus preaching? Hands up if you would like to be in the house of Jesus preaching. Raise your hand right now. Go, I'm preaching to you. So they get to the and they hear him preaching. There are religious people inside the house. Teachers of the law inside the house. And as Jesus is preaching, and as he's preaching, as he's preaching, as he's preaching, we hear this from our scriptures. It says this, faith comes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes. By hearing, and Jesus is preaching. No greater preacher in the whole world. But there's something missing in the house. He's preaching. He's preaching revelation. He's preaching God's word. But there's something missing in the house that he's not able to do what he needs to do in the house. Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, you'll know the text, but somewhere in there, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And somewhere, as he's preaching, it's not in the house. And he's just sitting there, teaching. And suddenly he's teaching. Plaster. In our terms, plaster, pieces of wood are coming down right before his eyes. It's not a miracle, folks. It wasn't performing a miracle. He wasn't assembling something now to make out of something out of nothing. All this is coming down right before his eyes, on his hair, dust, leaves, and everyone looking, trying to hear. And suddenly, all he sees coming down is a bed. He sees a bed. He's not looking for a bed. But a bed's coming down. He's and suddenly the bed and he's looking up and the scripture says he sees their faith. Faith has entered the room. Faith entered the room! Glory to God, there's excitement in the house! 
Not dust and building and material, but faith that entered the room. He wasn't even looking at the man. He saw their faith. Didn't ask the man about his faith. He saw theirs. His heart, his heart, if ever, if ever the heart of God ever skipped a beat, it was then. I can do something. He looked up at them, and they were looking down. This is, this is in my mind. This is not the Bible. This is not the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit. This is just the Spirit in me. I could look up and see them, and they were like this. moving by signs demonstrated to Jesus we got confidence in you pal you can do it we brought him all this way yes he's going to get up oh yes we are confident do you know there are times in meetings where you can actually see faith in people actually see faith just at times it hits you faith is you Many years ago, I remember being in a meeting. There was a young man, and there was a young man had come into this meeting. I was a young man. He was probably about my age. And he was in, wheeling this elderly lady in a chair. So I went over to them and said, can I help you? And he said, well, he said, my mother is in this chair. She's been in the chair for a long time. So I said, well, what is it? You don't need to ever say that as a preacher. You don't understand even when they tell you. It's not going to help your faith. But I did, I was young. And suddenly she, this dear lady, began to tell me all about her illnesses. They looked so long, I thought, where do you start? So I looked at the young man, he said, excuse me. I said, yes. He said, I just want you to know this. This lady is my mother. And God told me, God told me, God told me, I'm re- reiterating, God told me that I was to bring her to this meeting. And God told me that I'm going to walk out with my mother pushing the wheelchair. I said, can you tell me again what God told you? He said, God told me to bring my mother to this meeting. And my mother is going to go out with me and my mother is going to be pushing this wheelchair. And suddenly as he said, bang into my life, faith came. I looked at this lady and said, I don't know what's troubling with you, but I do know this, that Jesus is here to heal you. In Jesus' name, get up and walk. Now, she didn't leap up. She first steadily pushed herself up. And then she stood up. And then she stood there for a while. Her son held her for a while. And then he looked at her. He said, how are you feeling, mum? She said, I feel a lot stronger. And then he said, I think we can push this out. And she began to push this out. And she pushed her chair all the way out of the auditorium. That's not the end of the story. For a month later, I was invited to go to speak in a church in in Nottingham. Never been there before in my life. Pentecostal church. Got to the door and there was a young man standing at the door. He was called in those days a greeter. Always make sure you got happy greeters on the door. Somebody who smiles at you rather than scowls. <laughs> Get somebody on the door who's going to give you a leaflet, not simply say, here's the envelope, we're taking money from you. 
You want someone to make it a pleasant experience. They say that about Starbucks. It's nothing to do with the coffee. It's the experience we create. So this young man looked at me and said, Hello, it's nice to see you again. He said, I've never been here before. No, he said, but we do know each other. I said, I'm afraid I can't remember. I said, I don't know. Yes, he said, you remember me. And suddenly, as he's about to say it, a lady walked through the door. She said, hello. I said, hello. She said, it's nice to see you again. I was glad that I'd met her son. You must be very wary of ladies that say hello and you think you've never met them before. <laughs> so she said, yes, we've met. She said, I gave the chair to Oxfam. was the lady that had been prayed for a month previously. She just didn't walk out of the auditorium. She's just walking around, left it all behind. She's gone home to be with Jesus now. But I look at her son, even now living, prospering in the things of God. He came with a word of faith. And God always responds to faith. Then Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. There'd be no mention of sin up to this time. You say, well, he must have sinned. No. Jesus made a statement to the man that your sins are forgiven because it provoked a reaction to people who were religious who were sinners. Who are you to forgive sins? Who do you think you are? Only God can forgive sins. Well, let's just put it to the test, which is the easier to do. Forgive a man his sins or tell him to get up out of this mat. Silence. They could do neither. Religious people cannot help you when you're in a crisis. Now, here's the third thing about a true friend. A true friend will always take you to the one person who can help you. No matter what your problem is, they will always take you to the person who can help you. And that person is Jesus. I can't take you to anyone else this morning other than him. But I know this, that no matter what your situation is, he will not only help you, he'll deliver you from it. Which is easier. You, John, stand up. Take up your mat. Go home. Now, you didn't crawl up. You left up. Did a little jig. You say, well, that's not in the Bible. No, that's an embellishment. <laughs> but I can't believe that if you've been paralyzed for so long, you don't get a little bit excited. Now, I know some of you might be Anglicans here, but I'll at least tell you the story, seeing you're doing an Alpha course. <laughs> many years ago in Oxford, we, went down, we used to sing a song in our little kind of little group. And it used to be like, Silver and gold have I none. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have give I unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ. Of Nazareth rise up and walk. 
Walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God. And it goes on. Well, these people were sitting there like. <laughs> so I was trying to teach them the song. We taught the song and then I said, right, you are now going to sing this song. Now I've been up on my feet. Oh, I sit like walking and leaping. <laughs> so they began to sing. And then it came to the kind of chorus, walking and leaping. I cannot, it's, I can see it now. This is how they are singing a nice joy of the song. And suddenly it's walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising. And I thought, I don't think he did that. <laughs> Do you understand? Now, I'm not saying that you have to be as expressive as I am, and I don't necessarily think that we all have to be the same, but I just get a sneaky feeling. I just get this innate feeling. I just get this feeling within myself that if you've been lying on your bed for so many years and never ever walked, never moved your head, never moved your hands or your feet, and suddenly into your body, transformation! I just don't think you're going to sing a song. I don't think so. Something's happened inside you. It's the same when you become a Christian. I meet people today, you've become a Christian? Yes. Jesus made a big change to your life? Yes. Big or small change? Big. Got a lot of joy in your life now? Yes. <laughs> My friend, I'm not convinced. I wouldn't buy washing powder from that person. If you've ever sold anything, I used to sell things. I was convinced that what I was selling was the best thing in the whole world. I'm convinced that the gospel is the best thing I can sell in the whole world. Jesus will change your life. In India, just as I said, got back yesterday, met a young man there. I said, he was my um, interpreter. So we'll say his name is, you would all know, James. <laughs> James, you really love Jesus? Yes. Big change in your life since you came to know Jesus? Yes. Would you like a photograph with me, James? Yes. I said, I'm going to have my photograph taken. So he comes up to stand in the photograph with me. I said, no, I don't want you in the photograph. This is my photograph. I give my camera to this person and say, me. <laughs> James, come here. So, take a photograph of James. That's James. Yeah. <laughs> so I said to the person, don't waste that shot. So I'm behind the camera person like this, Andrew, could you use you as an illustration? You're the man taking a photograph of James, as James, pretend it's James. It's James, he's not smiling. So I'm like this. But you're taking the photograph like this. 
You get a shot? Oh, perfect. Good job. <laughs> Do anything to get the guy to smile. There are Christians, they don't seem as if to say, God saved me in my spirit, he's not saved my emotions. They cry, they don't laugh. There is a time to laugh. I know you don't know that. (laughs) Turn to somebody now and laugh. (laughs) Look at someone and laugh. John, great to see you. You're doing a good job. Now, if you're a visitor here today, this is the first time I've been here for two years. And looking at it all, it's probably the next next time you see me in four years. But I want us to be people that are real in life. The Tigers are playing this afternoon. Is there anyone here who is normally a Tiger supporter? Graham? Graham, when a Tiger... It's all right, man, you don't need to point at him. I know about him. (laughs) I'm moving the word of knowledge as well. Graham, perhaps you could tell the rest of us who don't go to these kind of games, but in this kind of spherical oblong-shaped ball filled with air, only air, and someone wearing a tiger shirt, probably you can't really identify that person because of the mud and all the dirt, and ladies wonder, what on earth are these boys playing around in the mud for? But as suddenly this man seems to go over the line, the opposition line, puts the ball down on the ground with probably a host of ten other players on top of him, is the crowd silent? They're not. Would your father be silent? No. (laughs) Calm. Men. Educated. Intellectual. Professors at Leicester University. Draped in colors of the team. Suddenly, just by a spherical shaped leather ball filled with air goes over a line. There is an eruption. Scarves in the air. Shouting. And you look and see the elders of the churches that are absolutely silent in worship. They've gone into ecstasy. Because someone has scored a try. But in the church... Someone's just got saved. (laughs) They've believed in Jesus. They've had their sins totally forgiven. They've been saved now because they were chosen before the foundation of the world. And now they've entered into the community, loving, dynamic, life-giving community of God. And they're presented by the elder out the front. And this is Jane who's come to know Jesus. Hmm. (laughs) Or some Christians dialogue. Well, isn't that good? Isn't that good? There's another tither. (laughs) Rather than... This is Jane. This is Jane. Who's been rescued.
from the kingdom of darkness be blasted into the kingdom of life. She now has the Christ of this kingdom living in her by his spirit. That there isn't anything any longer that can overcome her. For greater is he who is in her than he who is in the world. So glad that you are here. I heard a hallelujah. The rest this side. I won't say any more other than David as you listen to this tape. Two thirds of your congregation nodded. Take up your bed. Go home. You know a strange thing as I read this story? No matter how long the man had been on his bed, he still took his bed home. I don't think he was going to use that bed again. I don't know where he put it in his home. Even if he had one. But this is what I do believe he would have done if he had. He would have stuck it up on a wall like this. Like this. So that anyone who came into his house and said, What on earth is that? Let me tell you a story. My wife and I have got photographs, pictures, artwork, artifacts from around the world where I've been, now over in 50-odd countries of the world, where someone in those countries has come to know Jesus on each occasion. But I've taken things. People have given me them. And I've gone home, and they're in my home. And when the children come along, they say, Dad, what's that? Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story of what God did. Let me a story tell you that made Jesus alive. You need to put into your own memories stories of what God's done for your life. You need to be able to tell your children what God has done for you. And he'll do for them. Those of us who are of an age and we have grandchildren, you need to tell your grandchildren about what God's done for you. And what he's done for you, he'll do greater for them. Friends are. People who accept you where you are, but are not prepared to leave you in that context of the world, but to take you further in life to where you are meant to be. And in your journey, at all times, they'll always take you to the one who is the answer to every need. He's called King Jesus. My friends, the world now awaits us. That is the world outside. And that's where we are going. Time is gone. You're all able to rush home to your meat roast or roast meat or burnt offering, as the case may be. <laughs> Others of you will have other things to do. You'll meet friends. You'll have meet acquaintances. You'll meet your neighbor. But when you do so, at least smile. Let them know at least that you can say. When they say to you, John, why are you like this? I'm absolutely stunned. 
Why? Because of what I heard today in that meeting. It's been two years. Don't say any more than that, John. Would you stand, please? The Lord is good. He helps us in times of trouble. And at the times of trouble, he says, call upon me in the day of trouble. And I will answer you. Where you are this morning in the situation you are, and you think nobody else knows of the challenges I face, he does. The sicknesses or the pains within your body, when you say you have them and it belonged to so-and-so before, you, it happened to your mother, happened to your father, happened to your sister, it's happened to everyone else. And he says, no, it's not going to happen to you. I'm going to lift your thinking. I'm going to lift your desires. I'm going to take you into better places so that I'm going to give you friends that are not going to let you wallow in despondency. And I want you, says the Lord, to choose people that will always be people who sharpen your faith. For indeed I have spoken in my word that iron sharpens iron and that is what a friend is for. Choose therefore, says the Lord, people who can be friends to sharpen you in your own spiritual life so that your walk will be clear, your walk will be righteous and your walk with, you'll walk with humility. And so I will cause you to ascend and I'll cause you to overcome because not only in your own life will you find faith, but you will have acquaintances and associates and friends who are equally people who walk by faith. And therefore you will find that in the crisis you will have others who are prepared to carry you, not merely a bed, but carry you in their faith so that you can become strong so that in times after that that you also can carry them through the faith that you've imbibed. So let your heart be strong today and know this, that no matter what is there, I have given you my spirit to overcome all things. So, Father, we want to thank you for bringing us together. There is much to be done in this area of this country. There are many people to be reached. But I want to thank you that you have equipped us. You have chosen us to be the means to reach such people. And we will because at one time we were like them. And we thank you that you've saved us. I pray, Father, today in Jesus' name that every household represented, every household represented, will know your blessing upon it. Let your peace reside in every home. Let every child know your health and protection. Let every husband and wife know the squeezing of your love and pushing them together so that in all things a covenant relationship is not only birthed but lived out. Let everyone who is a grandparent, everyone who seems to be isolated, let them know today that you are an inclusive God, bringing the solitaries into families. But above all else, we want to thank you that you have given to us of your spirit that we can say that we live in you and you live in us. And let us today celebrate that truth. Thanks for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk.